This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal, and we have one of the quintessentially interesting folks here today. He's an old friend of mine, Dr. Kurt Waller. He is with Great Plains Laboratory. He is the medical director of Great Plains Laboratory. He works over there with Dr. Shaw, and I've seen him at numerous conferences and really appreciate his information. Thanks so much for joining us, Kurt. We really appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So Kurt is articulate, friends. He is going to tell us a lot about autism and the development of understanding, biomedical understanding of autism and how it's applicable not only for autistic children, but all of us in terms of what's going on biomedically with our brain-body connections and how, you know, how we can actually profit from understanding it much better and actually get better. So before I even get started with the interview and introduce Kurt a little more, I'm going to tell, tell you a little bit about our two sponsors. So you folks here already know how much we love the reality of data here at CBJ. And today we welcome our clinical friend and our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory. With over 3 million studies, they are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. They provide a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about them mid-episode. And then we also have another really interesting sponsor. Uh, and you already know how interested we are in detailed improvements in mind care and sort of the larger picture. And today we're pleased to welcome this other sponsor and partner with a deep interest in fresh options to address the complexity of adolescent treatment failure nationally and internationally. For 80 years, the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams here in Norfolk, Virginia, provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, tricare friendly, global level. We love them down here at, uh, in Norfolk, they're, they're neighbors of ours and we really appreciate them coming on board. So now, more about them later, as I said, let me tell you a little bit about Kurt. So Kurt has been a biomedical autism specialist since 1998, the dark ages. <laughs> and he was an original Defeat Autism Now. You've heard about Dan conferences. He was a referral physician. He has, for years, uh, had experience in researching and implementing biomedical interventions for individuals who suffer with autism. His extensive network of educational websites, his books and webinars provide parents of individuals on the autism spectrum, as well as physicians and other healthcare providers who are treating autism, access to an abundance of important information regarding the specifics of biomedical intervention. To have a direct interaction with Dr. Waller right here, right away, you can subscribe to his medical autism website at autismrecoverysystem.com. Here you can post questions to the parent forum, which Dr. Waller will answer directly. He is also available for private consultations through his office, including by phone and Skype appointments, and he can be contacted at the website here. So, you know, 
Kurt's been around for a long time. As I said, they have mm -hmm. uh, what happens with Great Plains has numerous excellent conferences. And uh, we met recently up in D.C. at an mm -hmm. IMMH conference up there. And just a, a very interesting presentation. So, Kurt, tell us a little bit about what's going on with you right now and what your mission is so we get a little bit to know who you are as a person. And then we're going to get down to the details. Well, as you mentioned, I've been in practice for over 20 years. My first introduction to autism was actually in San Diego back in 1997 when I had got a flyer in the mail for this thing called a DAN conference, Defeat Autism. Now, the only reference point I had to autism at that time was the movie Rain Man. I, I'd never really heard of autism. Anyway, I go to this conference. I see you know, doctors talking about immune problems, hormone problems, biochemical imbalances. I'm thinking, these are the same things I'm seeing in many of my adult patients. It was within a week or two, I started getting phone calls. Uh, my office staff told me, say, hey, is, is Dr. Willer treat autism? And I said, how are these people finding me? Well, I must have, when I registered, I said, Do, am I willing to become a biomedical doctor? And I must have checked yes, because <laughs> Sure enough, they started to come, and that's kind of how it started, and that's actually how I met Dr. Shaw from Great Plains. I ordered this test, which is, you know, Chuck, when you came to IMMH, I was talking about the organic acids test, a critically mm -hmm. important test. I ordered that test back then on an autistic child, found out he had elevated markers for candida, and we know about candida, the chronic nature of candida, the toxins it produces that tends to influence not only just autistic kids, but people with chronic fatigue and autoimmune disorders, et cetera. And so that began my journey and it's really evolved over the past 20 years. I mean, I'm very much involved in education, patient care. I consult with people all over the world. I have a number of online services I do. Uh, I do a lot of webinars through Great Plains. I also have my own integrative medicine academy where I teach other healthcare practitioners the concepts of integrative medicine. And then just recently we launched a biomedical education website called Autism Recovery System. And this is a culmination of years of experience and educational material that I infused into this site from videos to articles to uh, an entire biomedical course specifically designed for parents to get them up to speed about this concept of biomedical intervention. I'll describe what that is here in a moment. We also have a forum where people can come on anywhere in the world, as long as they have internet access, and it's multi-language. It can be translated into their language, and then I translate it back into English. An incredible resource. So we're really excited about that because I'm all about this type of thing doesn't happen. The kids don't get better unless the parents are 100% involved. And the parents have to be They've got to be educated. They've got to be knowledgeable. This stuff is not, impo it's not impossible to learn. They just have to dedicate some time to it. So that's my passion. And one of the things that uh, I was just preparing a lecture I'm giving actually in August to a group of parents, the bottom line to biomedicine, Chuck, is for years, autism has been, and it still is, solely looked at as a brain disorder, a neurodevelopmental problem. So the only way then to treat it is with speech therapy and behavioral therapy, et cetera. It's, and those things are helpful. But the reality, when you get down to really looking at what's happening with autistic kids, 
is it's a multi-system disorder, meaning the immune system, the gut, the hormone, biochemical imbalances are involved. And all of those multi-system dysfunctions affect the brain. To me, and what I have seen over the past two decades, is the autistic kids are really, they're, they're like the canary in the coal mine. And if you think about that from a, what we do as physicians and understanding trying to put the puzzle pieces together, the things that are affecting these kids, and they have all of it, are also affecting other people with neurological problems, with mental health disorders, with chronic fatigue, with autoimmune problems. It's just that the imbalances in the body, nutritionally, metabolically, biochemically, are manifesting in different ways. It's manifesting in a unique way in these kids at a certain time in their life developmentally, and so it manifests as autism. Uh, and because of that, we can work on it. So we can work on nutrition, we can work on gut health, we can work on some of the biochemical imbalances. It's not always easy, it's very challenging, but it's incredibly rewarding and incredibly powerful when you have kids who emerge from this problem um, to become higher functioning and some of them actually lose their diagnosis and recover. So a lot to talk about, but uh, very exciting stuff. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, and I'm so happy to hear you say that, Kurt, because I come at this uh, from a traditional psychiatric point of view. And so what happens with me is I'm a guy that's gotten it wrong more than anybody I know. I mean, I'm running around the country lecturing very specific, what I think is evolved neuroscience, because all the people in the country who are really uh, esteemed psychopharmacologists are telling me how to get the meds right, and I'm shooting blanks in my office because... I'm missing what's going on. And somewhere in there, many years ago, it was in the late uh, 90s, I said, hey, there's something else going on. So I became interested. And it was right around 96 that I started recognizing the biomedical impediments that uh, were causing the meds to not work right. So I started with cytochrome P450, which is a really easy place to start, you know. Right. And right, right, right. Getting, you know, like this is basic. I mean, uh, these meds need to be understood in terms of those genetic polymorphisms. And then I just got more into it. Then I worked with Eamon up in uh, D.C. I opened his office at D.C. and did brain imaging with him for four years. And uh, by that by that time, I was I was way past brain imaging because brain imaging is interesting. But of course, it doesn't really deal with the underlying uh, neurophysiology of what's going on. It's, it's really a blood flow and you get some, a good picture of blood flow, which really, although it's evolved from just looking at a person's behavioral uh, appearances, it still isn't down to where you are really thinking and what you and your team actually do with the really bio, with biomedical assessment and, and really correcting it on a molecular cellular level. So that's why I'm so happy to talk to you. And we're, we're in the same, you know, we've had the same kind of evolutionary experience, but I came at it from a traditional psych point of view with a long series of disappointments. I'm thinking I should know and I don't know. That's why I so much respect and appreciate speaking with a guy like you because I think what's going on in psychiatry is things like autism. Now, my whole thing is ADD. I mean, if you really recognize how bad the whole situation is with ADD on a, on a global level, in terms of the misunderstandings right. that take place. <laughs> you know, we're treating thinking without thinking about thinking. I mean, that is, <laughs> could it be worse? I mean, and that's what's going on globally. That's a standard of care. 
So, you know, the issue is, you know, and I've been saying that for a long time, but I don't want to be a broken record. But once you get past that, I look at ADD as an open door to say, here's what's going on neurophysiologically. Now, if you really want to get down to it, now let's take the deep dive because we really don't know what we're doing. So anyway, that's my, my story real quickly, and that's why we're talking. So I do appreciate your, your uh, insight about the broad applications. That's where I got off on my thing. Well, one thing too, and, and I, I always look at, you know, because you have certain camps in medicine, right? Well, we're just a biomedical camp or we're just a medication camp. And mm-hmm. I don't think of it that way. My, my feeling is, is I'm very grateful that we have the things available to us from the medication, from other types of therapy, from speech, from behavioral to neurofeedback, to transcranial magnetics. It's a wonderful thing we have all these things because in reality, sometimes you need additional tools in your tool bag. Thankfully, too, we have and understand more today about nutrition, about targeted supplementation, about understanding the implications of biochemistry because I don't want to eliminate anything, any possibility of what might be helpful. The key point really and the biggest struggle is to try to get people to understand, though, that what's happening with their kids in many regards can be helped. Autism is treatable beyond just standard treatment. And yes, there are some kids that will recover. Everybody can be helped. There's hope for help out there. Mm -hmm. In many cases, it's just a improvement in overall function. Let me give you a quick example. One of the biggest what's called comorbid conditions in autism, and this is recognized from the Centers for Disease Control, is digestive problems. The digestive issues in autistic kids are huge. They know it correlates with learning difficulties. They know it correlates with behavioral problems. Every single study out there, when they look at autistic children versus neurotypical children and look at gut-related issues, behavioral scores are always worse in gut kids with regards to autism. And some of these kids actually have inflammatory bowel disease. And we could spend an entire show on what that means. Mm -hmm. Many of them have chronic infections. Okay, so candida one, clostridia bacteria is another. All of these things produce very powerful compounds that have a very powerful effect on neurochemistry. Um, And so there's a lot going on there. And Chuck, you know, I mean, I don't know who you've had on your show before, but I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the research on the microbiome and the effect of that, the, the ecosystem of the gut and the effect that that has now, and they know on Parkinson's, on Alzheimer's and other types of neurological conditions. So there's just a huge amount of information that has emerged over the years that clinically correlates with what we're seeing, but even more so when we treat these imbalances, these kids get better. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, we did have a guy on. You get a kick out of this. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. His name doesn't immediately occur, occur to me right now, but he's, he's into uh, metadarwinism. And he says mm-hmm. that uh, Darwin was wrong. And that really it was the, uh, the whole uh, microbiome that's the uh, basis of the evolution of humankind. And, and, the, uh, and that particular subspecies within our gut is is part of how we how we evolved and he's quite articulated uh, articulate about it. it was really quite interesting 
So when you really look at the variables, what, what you're saying, Kurt, and I'm, I'm just saying the same thing back, but the gut is a very important uh, part of what we do every day. My favorite question as a classically trained psychiatrist, a recovering psychoanalyst, by the way, <laughs> is how many times a day do you go number two? I mean, you know, if we don't ask that and we don't consider transit time with every single person that comes in for a consult, we're just missing at least 50% of what's going on because we can sit there and throw meds at them until the cows come home unless we understand that interaction. Yeah, some of the some of the kids that I've seen who have some of the worst behaviors are often severely constipated. It's one of the questions I ask too is how often is your child moving their bowels? I mean, I could tell you story after story of, of uh, you know, severe constipation leading to severe behavioral problems. One of the things that I discussed at the Integrated Medicine for Mental Health conference that you were at when it came to gut toxins, pathogens in the gut uh, that affects these kids uh, significantly is the issue of candida. And, you know, candida has been tossed around, you know, for, again, chronic fatigue, chronic headaches, etc. It's a very sophisticated organism. As one of the things I've appreciated the more I've learned about it and teach about it is how really complex it is. Now, I like the way my partner puts it. A lot of people have a little bit of candida. Not everybody is chronically sick because of candida. It's a normal organism in our environment. It's a normal part of our body. So what really happens in, in people who are susceptible to the to some of the toxins it produces is other imbalances in their body. It's a very individualized thing. So normally we should be able to handle the level of candida, but you have a breakdown in whether it's hormones or immune function or detoxification systems, and all of a sudden candida becomes problematic. Some person it might just cause headaches, another person it might cause drunken behavior. One of the interesting things with the autistic kids, when their candida levels or their toxins are very high, is they often become um, very erratic behaviorally. I call it the goofiness, giddiness, silliness type of phenomenon. A lot of inappropriate laughter. The parents oftentimes will describe their kids as almost being drunk. Mm -hmm. if, for the listeners out there, do a search on something called auto brewery syndrome. You heard of this? No. Auto brewery syndrome. There are cases of individuals who have been um, arrested for drunk driving who did, had never had alcohol. It's because their gut is fermenting compounds and producing ethanol. One of the metabolic byproducts of candida metabolism is ethanol. Mm. And the effects of that you know, in a very high amount can be quite profound. Um, mm. So candida is one of those things we often assess for, and a lot of the autistic kids are very susceptible. Dr. Bill Shaw from Great Plains years ago documented through his lab that there, you know, when you compare autistic children to neurotypical children, they all can have a certain level of candida toxin, but the autistic kids generally have a much higher amount. And my feeling is that not only that, is they're more neurologically sensitive to the presence of candida. Interesting. So yeah. it's, um, it, and I think you'll find that too in just, you know, people with different types of health challenges. Some people have a little bit, others have more, but everybody has a unique 
tolerance or intolerance to the presence of candida. If we have time, I also want to describe the influence of what's called clostridia bacteria, because this is something that I talk a lot about in my conferences. I'm teaching a course right now to doctors on how to interpret the organic acids test from Great Plains and why that test is so critically important, not only for the autistic kids, but for people with mental health and other kinds of chronic health problems because of the negative influence of clostridia. No, let's talk about that because, Kurt, I went. Uh, that was another time we met up in D.C. You had a one-day conference up there, and you did a great job of breaking that down. And, I, yeah, I think it would be good because we do have a lot of professional listeners, and if you take uh, some time to do that, that would be great. Appreciate it. Okay. So we know that Clostridia bacteria is a, a very – or some of the Clostridia are very toxic. And the main one you know, is Clostridia difficile. That's what most people are looking at. certainly causes a lot of digestive problems, inflammatory bowel, or sometimes just chronic diarrhea. And there's, unfortunately, as you know, Chuck, many people who die from C. diff infections, particularly in the hospital. But there are other toxins that Clostridia bacteria can produce that have an adverse effect on the brain and nervous system. Clostridia difficile, some certain strains of it, produce a toxin called 4-creosol. Another strain of Clostridia produces a compound called HPHPA. And the chemical structure of these compounds will actually inhibit an enzyme in our nervous system called dopamine beta-hydroxylase. And when dopamine beta-hydroxylase is inhibited, and this is confirmed biochemically, you get a block of dopamine conversion, and that throws the nervous system kind of off kilter. You start to create imbalances in norepinephrine, which affects attention and focusing, et cetera, and you get a rise in dopamine, and too much dopamine in the nervous system is a trigger for fight-or-flight response. In addition to that, and this is one of the things that we're picking up a lot with the autistic kids, is that dopamine also becomes neurotoxic because it's very susceptible to oxidative stress. It breaks down into different compounds and robs the body of antioxidants, one of them being glutathione. And if you look at the research on glutathione and the deficits in glutathione that it creates neurologically, it's it's huge. I mean, people with... Uh, uh, Parkinson's, for example, are often depleted in glutathione. I know Dr. Perlmutter for years has been advocating for glutathione therapy for Parkinson's. And, and it goes across the board into so many other areas. And so the, the difficulty in getting medical professionals to understand this is that medical professionals are only used to testing for clostridia in one way, and that's through a stool test. But these other toxins that these other strains of clostridia are producing aren't tested via the stool. They're tested via the urine. And that's where the organic acid test comes into play. And one of the reasons that I lecture for Great Plains uh, and do that course is what I've seen clinically in my practice. There are other organic acid tests on the market, but they miss the mark because they're not testing for the right compounds. And it has such a profound effect, not only on the lab, but clinically in practice, that if you don't have that information, uh, you really are missing the boat, so to speak. And to me, as a, an integrative medicine doc, 
I've told physicians and parents for years, if they can do one test in the beginning to get the ball rolling biomedically, it would be the organic acid test because there's so much information that's picked up on that. So, and I wanted to address something real quickly, Chuck. I know if we have to go to a break here shortly, but a lot of people will overemphasize candida as the main driving mechanism behind chronic ill health. Not that that's not important. But one of the things I've seen with the autistic kids is if you are not assessing these kids appropriately, if you're not doing the right testing to look for these toxins, and all you do is focus on candida, many of these kids won't get better. But if they have an underlying clostridia problem, that clostridia problem tends to get worse. Well, now we are going to take a break, but I'll tell you what the question is going to be because you've, you've got me. I'm riding the train with you, Kurt. We're, we're not looking out the window. This is an interesting conversation. I'll tell you what the question is going to be because I'll tell you what happened in my office, and I'll tell you why I want to ask this question. I know others are there. I have a kind of priority, and mine, and you obviously know more than I do about this. You've done it more than I've done it, and you've had uh, considerable more experience than I have clinically. However, what's happened for me is I put my first line as IgG. I mean, it's sort of like I have to get that IgG test done. I use Great Plains for IgG, and we use Great Plains for oats. And I want to get that IgG done because I look at IgG as the top of Mount Everest, and I look at candida and the oats as some of the downstream, down-the-mountain problems that have occurred based on the uh, corruption and the inflammation and the problems that occurred with um, uh, food sensitivity issues. So that's what I'm going to ask you about. If you clarify the interface between IgG testing and oats, and then go more into it, we appreciate it. So we'll come back in just a moment and ask you that question. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. 
DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's dhalab.com forward slash core. Okay, Kurt, we're back again. So it's a little bit, uh, both of the questions that we're talking about, both the items that we're talking about, the topics that we're talking about, are in a way pretty controversial to a person who is an absolutely traditionally minded person. But I know a number of our audience, people, individuals who listen, are really interested in these other uh, aspects. And, and so I know they're going to be interested in where you go with this because of your experience in these matters. So tell us a little bit about that interface between IgG and OATS and why OATS is a priority over IgG for you. So, and you're talking about IgG testing for candida or no, just total IgG? Yeah, total IgG, food sensitivity, and candida. Yeah. I mean, and Chuck, you're right. There's no doubt the immune system plays a huge role in so many types of problems. Um, you know, with the antibodies that get produced as our first line of immune defense. The reason that I, and I'm speaking of the autistic population, the reason that I will oftentimes start with the organic acid test is in part, it's generally easier to get um, than a blood test, unless you're able to do a dried blood spot. Excellent point. Excellent point. Um, and I, I, I had a parent one time say, none of it's easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's easier. I mean, in fact, I just had a consult today where the patient went out and got blood drawn and it's, it's a challenge. I mean, there are kids that sometimes they have so much anxiety, so much stress doing a blood draw. is a big deal. So mm -hmm. the OVID is a urine test. You can be collected at home, et cetera, et cetera. So IgG, just to really say it real quickly, IgG is blood and OATS is urine just to, for people right. who don't know. Yeah, that, that's right. And so that I, I try to upfront kind of make it easier, mm -hmm. less stressful Good because point. life is already stressful. Yes. So parents, parents out there listening to me, they know it's every day is a challenge. Um, and I have nothing against IgG testing. In fact, mm -hmm. I love IgG testing when it comes to food sensitivity assessments. It's a critical test and it's one of the, one of the tests that I often do as part of my uh, initial screens. Mm -hmm. the, I, one of the nice things with that Great Plains is doing now is they do the dried blood spot. So you could do a finger prick test, which is easier than doing a blood draw. Um, I do. It's interesting, though, Chuck, because I actually have some, some case studies, and I talk about this in the courses that I do, where one of the markers on the IgG test that I see is for candida. Yes. And I've seen a number of cases where the IgG marker is normal and the metabolic toxins that are being produced by candida are high on the oat. Yeah. And so I've often felt that, and I do a lot of testing. I do chemical testing. I do metal testing. I mean, there's other tests we could talk about. But as an entry point, to, again, to get the ball rolling, to start the process, yeah. there's just a lot of stuff that pick, that's picked up off the oat. I got uh, you. Yeah. More than just candida and more than just clostridia. Thanks, Kurt. Those are excellent points. I appreciate it. Now, that's, that is the consternation. I think I'm dealing with a uh, higher functioning, higher level functioning individual, generally speaking, as an outpatient. And I don't have the 
uh, autism um, background reputation that you have. So you're going to be dealing with a different type of person coming in. But that's a very uh, useful and helpful. Thank you so much for making that point of clarification. That, that is what happens. And OATS is an easy one to do. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So then go on, if you would, please, with the application for where we can go with this with individuals who come in, whether they're autistic or not. The next thing is putting that package together. So how do you do that in your practice? Well, I, you know, I have a series of things that, that I look for um, in a series of tests that I run. The, obviously, the organic acid test is a foundational assessment. I think food sensitivity testing is critically important. Uh, if you remember some of the lectures at the IMMH conference with a lot on food reactions linked to physical issues, linked to certain mental health challenges as well. Um, so that's a critical piece. I mean, even just the information on gluten intolerance and celiac, that's beyond just the gut and the impacts that it has from an inflammatory standpoint uh, is huge. I'm a big fan of, of hair testing, not from an overall assessment of all the minerals in the body, but it's a good, it's a good entry-level snapshot of heavy metal exposure. And it, again, it's easy to get, you know, it's snipping some hair, um, mm -hmm. easier to do in kids. And it's a point of discussion. A lot of times people have hidden metals in the body that they're not aware of. Also, there are certain minerals that are picked up off of a hair test that have pretty strong correlation to blood testing. Not all, but certain ones. Uh, and that also clinically correlates in my practice pretty well uh, as well. So I do uh, testing on that. One of the newest things that, that I've been doing a lot of, and I'm completely blown away and horrified about what we as a society and really a world are being exposed to is the chemical toxicity assessments. Yep. I'm looking at tests that are coming from not only people, not just kids, but adults as well, all throughout the U.S., as well as around the world. And many of us are being inundated with pesticides, with herbicides, with organophosphates. I have, as of yet, Chuck, had a normal test come back for a specific toxin called MTBE, which comes from gasoline exposure. Every everybody in the world has been exposed. Is the highest right? I've seen is I the highest I've seen was was a family in Croatia who's lived across the street from a gas station. But it's 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 uh, universal. The other thing, and you may have had some people on your show that it has huge implications for the autistic population or just people in general with chronic health is glyphosate. Okay. Um, and glyphosate, you know, the the main ingredient, uh, the most common herbicide in the world. The thing about the glyphosate, which is troubling, is that it completely disrupts the microbiome. So it disrupts the way our normal bacteria in our digestive system utilize things like tyrosine and tryptophan. It, as the microbiome shifts in its population, we now get more opportunistic bacteria and candida. Mm -hmm. Just that shift alone is creating huge problems. Mm -hmm. So... That has become a, 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 the next line of assessment in my practice because to me, it really boils down to we have to have a healthy diet. If you're, if you're eating a bunch of foods that have chemicals in them, it's going to make you toxic. We have to have a healthy digestive system. We have to have good nutrition in order for us to have good 
brain and nervous system function. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, to tell you, you, you don't know this because you're so busy right there on the farm, but we had uh, Dr. Sean talking about the GPL talks, as a matter of fact. Oh. Okay. And so you're you're not everybody here is very very interested in that. There's no there's no thunder that's been stolen. I'm just trying to look for the number here while we're talking. We had um, Dr. Joe Pizzarno on in 103 talking about the toxic solutions, and then we had uh, Dr. Shaw and I'll I'll find his there it is. He was at 125 at uh, com forward slash 125. And you know I'm. Thank you so much for bringing it up again, because we also had Dr. Senna from MIT on just recently, mm. and she's very strong on this. So we're getting a, 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 a confluence of excellent information, and you're another person. You're there, a practitioner. You're not a PhD running a lab. You're seeing human beings, and it's very interesting that you come down and say, look, Chuck, one of the things I've got to do is I see this as a big, big problem in my office. And so... We're, we're taking people who are doing more or less what a person would say. We're looking at the research and we see the theories. And then we come down to a guy that's a practitioner who's doing it all day, every day. And uh, I, I have, that's one that I have to learn how to use. I appreciate you bringing it up because I think it's got to be up there after I talked to Dr. Shaw. And then uh, Dr. Seneff came in and she's talking about the same thing. It was like, gosh, I got I to gotta really learn how to do the GPL talks. It's complicated. It's another reality, you know, but it's okay. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate your mentioning it. Why don't you come and uh, visit me when I'm in Florida? I'll be in Florida in November teaching another uh, oat, oat seminar. I'm also giving some talks on glyphosate and the, and the toxicity. Oh, that'd be fun. I'd love to come down there. I know I won't be able to, though. I'm just like, I'm a little bit of a non-recovering workaholic, Kurt. So. <laughs> so anyway, back to it. So you do then, if you think about it, what we're talking about, uh, listeners, is a confluence of tests. Why are we talking about a confluence of tests? Kurt and I didn't prepare this conversation. This is the way we both think independently. And we're talking about, okay, you got the IgG, you have the oats, and you have the GPL tox. And then there are some other tests. He mentioned the hair. But those tests deal with the underlying complexity of these individuals. This is not just something where you can just wind up and, and throw something at them and correct behavioral, uh, you know, superficial behavior. Yeah, and that's critical. It's all about the puzzle. So every everybody has a everybody's health issues is a puzzle. Some people mm -hmm. have a health puzzle that's you know five pieces. Others are fifty. Some are five hundred. Mm -hmm. I, I took that analogy by the way from a parent years ago, and I thought it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that if you look at the the the, the symbol of autism, it's puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. because we're trying to figure out what is what are the pieces that fit this child's puzzle. And you know what? The bottom line is it comes down, almost every single kid has certain puzzle pieces that fit their puzzle. Diet, okay? Um, I, I have something called the four-pillar approach. This is a, a method that I've used for years. You can do all kinds of therapy out there, and there's all kinds of, you know, um, you know, flash in the pan therapies or other stuff. But if you don't pay attention and you don't focus and, and create a foundation of health, I don't care what diagnosis somebody has, they're usually not going to get better. Diet is number one. So they got to have a healthy diet. And that's a whole discussion. So that's key. 
nutritional supplementation. Now, unique to the autism kids, they often have very limited diets because of some of their sensory imbalances. They self-select certain foods. They're not getting a lot of good nutrition, many of them. So the nutritional supplements are key to help fill in those gaps nutritionally. And then you come in with targeted therapies over time. So that's pillar number two. Pillar number three is all about the gut. Um, they have to have a healthy gut. We've got to control the bacteria, the yeast issues. We've got to have good digestion and absorption to absorb our nutrients and our fats and our proteins and eliminate toxins. Because you talked about IgG. The, the first line immune defense for our immune system is our gut. We yeah. produce a tremendous amount of, of uh, immune chemicals in our gut to control against sort of outside invaders. And then the final piece of that four-pillar approach is methylation. And methylation is a, is a very complex biochemical system, but the, the, the crux of it is it has tremendous influences on our brain and nervous system. Almost every organ system is, is influenced by methylation. When it's broken, what we often see in these kids is attention problems, language issues, socialization problems, focusing problems. The kids become almost locked within their own world. When you improve methylation through things like methyl B12 or methylfolate, these kinds of supplements, a lot of these kids emerge. I don't want to oversell it. It's not a... It's not a magic bullet, no. Yeah. but it's a core part, and those four pillars are of paramount importance to focus on. And that, So that's my initial thrust is to work on that. And you work on those core things, 80 to 85% of these kids will improve. Some will recover. Some significantly improve. Um, and then, yeah, there's other things that have to be done sometimes, whether it's targeted immune therapy or hyperbaric or – wherever it may be. Um, but I'm all about trying to work on percentages. And I know as you have been in practice, you know those tried and true remedies that work more times than they don't. And so we have those percentages that work in our favor. And if you focus on those things, people often get well. Yeah, you do the best you can. That's for sure. Now, let me ask you this question. Uh, what do you think, because, uh, this is, a, this is a more complicated question. I'm sure you have an answer for it. I know I'm not putting you on the spot. But since we were on that GPL Talks, and we're really going to be talking, and by the way, listeners, I'm going to have all those tests linked to Great Plains. They're on the show notes. So if you have any questions, we're talking stuff that you don't understand, you go right to the show notes, go right to Great Plains on it, no problem. But if somebody does have a glyphosate issue of what – what do you do with that? How Now, obviously, the reason that it's going to be a problem is because they're doing uh, pesticide or, and, you know, non-organic uh, and GMO uh, foods. That's, that's a food thing. But is there anything that you do specifically to make sure that those toxins are start to really move out of the body? you have any ideas about that? Well, I mean, even Shaw had mentioned in one of the recent articles showing a 95% reduction in glyphosate on an organic diet in about six weeks. So that's, that's, that's key number one is, is shifting the diet. I think the biggest food offender is corn. Mm -hmm. uh, I see actually there's a fungus that, that uh, produces a toxin that shows up on that test sometimes. And I often wonder if uh, on the organic acid test, mm -hmm wonder if it's coming because of the, the GMO, the GMO corn. So a shift mm -hmm. in diet is, is, is huge. Um, there's some, it's a little bit early 
you know, to, to know how much something like the, the, the infrared saunas can help with things like glyphosate. It certainly helps with the organophosphates and mm-hmm. some of the other uh, herbicides that people are exposed to. Um, the biggest shift is getting people to eat organic as much as possible. If they mm-hmm. could even trust that the labels are true. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting, Chuck, I, I actually do some tests. I've had some testing of people in Europe and Eastern uh, Europe, and I see very little glyphosate over there. Mm-hmm. The, the highest levels of glyphosate are coming from this country here in the USA. So, yeah, it's a it's a big problem. But I think the biggest thing people can take upon themselves is to try to eat organic food and particularly eat, or if they're going to eat corn or corn products, make sure it's organic and non-GMO. Yeah, just to uh, support what you said, Dr. Seneff said exactly the same thing. She said what happens is they're, they're just not spraying Roundup on their crops over there like we are. And we it's it's so routine because people are spraying it on the crop to dry up the crop. You know, it, it accelerates right. certain activity. Not only are, is it going to do, you know, whatever it was intended to do from a pesticide point of view in the first place, but they're they're doing it in a mechanical way to just throw it on there. And another interesting thing you may not have heard, I hadn't heard it before, I was interested that she said about it, but her research shows that the glyphosate actually changes the architecture of the cytochrome P450 system. And... And the immunoglobulin G system, those two, those two entities are actually mm. modified by glyphosate uh, toxins. And I, I, th- I thought that was interesting because I was, I was asking her about immunoglobulin G and she was actually, I have to re-listen to it. She was like zooming over my head a little bit, Kurt. So she, was, <laughs> she, she had the pedal to the metal and I was trying to hang on, you know. But it was a very, very interesting thing. But I thought, I didn't know if you knew that. That would be very interesting for you to hear about it. I, that I didn't know. That that goes to the heart of your question on IgG testing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're, if we're disrupting immunoglobulin production because of glyphosate, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. You yeah. know. Yeah. And changing the cytochrome. I mean, when you think everybody running around doing gene site testing, which is helpful, you know, I'm still at that point where we use medication. Uh, yeah. You know, because I've, I've come at it from that door and I can get the behavior handled a little bit while we do the background noise, which is the chronic illness side. We use the medication for acuity and then go on and do the chronic side. But if we're doing all that and the, and the cytochrome P450 system is modified, forget the genetic polymorphisms they inherited from their parents, but that whole system is modified by glyphosate. You know, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing, so... Well, you know, Kurt, you got to go. You said before this offline that you have another, you're going to be doing another presentation tonight. This has been such a delightful conversation. I can't tell you how much I appreciate having you come on and getting to know you again personally, get a little more conversation with you. You're really doing a really fantastic job for a lot of people out there. And we really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. You know, I, I'd love to come back and talk some more about this. And for parents out there, caregivers, and even practitioners who are interested in the autistic uh, uh, work, if they go to autismrecoverysystem.com, parents and caregivers, doctors could too, they can join that site. And again, they can post me questions through the member forum, and there's a ton of information on that site. But there's also, um, if they just want to go to the site and get the free ebook, I have a book that's downloadable off that site. 
called Seven Facts You Need to Know About Autism But Probably Weren't Told. Yeah. And that is downloadable as a PDF that's complimentary to anybody who goes to the site. Good, good. They can get that. So, yeah, but I'd uh, love to come back, and it's been fun. Now, did you, Kurt, did you write a book called The Road to Recovery? What was that about? Because Tiffany wrote me a note here. Yeah, that's, uh, that's another book I have, Autism, The Road to Recovery. I've written a number of books. Autism, The Road to Recovery is a, a general book about autism intervention. Uh, I wrote a book on methyl B12 therapy for autism, how to incorporate methylcobalamin um, that's, you know, whether it's injection, nasal spray, oral, and that's a guidebook for parents and practitioners as well. Uh, cool. I did one on Alzheimer's too. So, but uh, yeah, those are the core autism books. That's great. Well, we're, you know, uh, Kurt, listeners, Kurt gave us the road to recovery. We're going to have that as a drawing. So, you know, you can come by and pick that up. If you drop your uh, email over there, at Core Brain Journal. We'd be happy to send uh, the winner out a copy. Kurt, thanks again for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And we'll get together again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.